It's me, it's Johnny D, the Motivational Cowboy, and welcome to the Outstanding Life Podcast. Today, we have Pete Merluzzi on the line. Hey, Pete, what's going on? How are you, Johnny? Thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, man. Hey, you're, you're, you're in nice, warm uh, Florida, right? What's, what's the uh, temperature there today? <laughs> yeah, well, at nice, warm Florida. We're, we're going through uh, one of the most terrifying parts of the year for Floridians. It's called a cold front. Um, <laughs> that gets the... That's when you wake up in the morning and the weather's in the 40s and your house feels like an igloo. But, uh, you know, it's it's I think it's in the 60s right now. So I think we're OK. Uh, there's there's some people that are natives that may be suffering a little bit more than I am. But coming from up north, I'm, I'm not really faced by it too much. I love it. Well, just so you know, today I, I, I woke up and there was some snow on the ground, buddy. So I'd rather be in Florida. So. Uh. Yeah, it's, I, I don't miss that so much, man. I <laughs> I like to see it every once in a while, but I don't like the idea of having to wake up and shovel every day, you know, during right. this time of the year. Yeah. So. Hey, Pete, man, yeah. I mean, you, you know, I'm so glad that our paths have crossed. I mean, you have such an interesting job and, and background. And uh, for everybody that don't know, Pete Merluzzi is a tour manager and tour accountant. Who are some of the bands you've worked with? Um, well, uh, I've been doing this for almost 24 years, so there's a ton of them, but, um, some of the bands that I spent a lot of time with, uh, Brian Setzer Orchestra, the Goo Goo Dolls, um, the Counting Crows, uh, ZZ Top, uh, Velvet Revolver, which led into Slash, uh, helped with Slash's solo band and, and kind of helped him build that from the ground up, uh, Billy Idol, um, Hart. Uh, Guns and Roses more recently, and uh, maybe my, you know, a Judas Priest, and maybe my favorite um, experience in my entire career was probably working with ACDC. Really, I thought for sure. Oh, you, and, Kid, you... and Kid Rock, and Kid Rock's in there too. I mean, there's, there's, I, I kind of. It's hard to rattle that off every once in a while, you know. Dude, I, I'm I'm looking at your resume right now, and I mean, there's so many of them on here, and it's just so cool that that you've got to work with Nickelback, you know. But one of the big ones that that I thought you were going to say is you've worked with uh, Bob the Builder. I did. I did work with Bob. <laughs> I did also worked with the Wiggles. For those of you with kids in the early 2000s, uh, I had some interesting experiences with uh, with those shows. I've done gospel stuff. I've done you know, pop stuff, but, um, you know, Joe Cocker was another one that I got to work with, which, uh, you know, super honored to have been a part of that. Um, but yeah, yeah. Bob, the builder was definitely, uh, you know, surprisingly enough, people forget what big money, um, kids shows and kids entertainment is, right. you know, and, um, that was a really amazing experience with a lot of great people on it. Um, it was kind of an all-star cast really of people and like crew people and truck drivers and just some of the best, it was a quiet time of the year. So all these great, like a level people were on that tour. And, uh, for some reason they drafted me <laughs> at that <laughs> stage of my career. It was early on. And, uh, I just got lucky. I got to be a part of something really special there for a while. And, um, it was something that ended up, you know, having an impact on the next, um, 15 years of my life. So, I ended up meeting my, my, my now ex-wife on that tour, but, um, you know, we're still close and, uh, 
you know, there's just a lot of great friendships came from that. Yeah. How, Pete, how does a, a, you know, a, a young man get to be a tour manager, tour accountant? Did you go to college to be an accountant and you came, I mean, kind of tell us the story. Um, no, I, <laughs> I think a lot of it is just Wait, kind so of, you're an accountant that did not go to college to be an accountant? I am not really, I'm not a CPA. I'm a bookkeeper more than anything, but, uh, <laughs> the accounting on, on tour is a unique thing, right? I mean, you're dealing with piles of, of cash and huge numbers of, you know, huge, huge income numbers that you're dealing with on a regular basis. So the accountant handles all the cash flow, the credit cards and the day-to-day show, uh, interactions, I guess is the best way to say it. Ticket, you know, I audit ticketing, I audit the promoters, I audit all the bills and invoices that come through on a show day, which there are, you know, books full of them. And it's, uh, you know, it, it's about being organized. It's about being able to spot things that look right and that don't. Um, you know, I learned about advertising and the things that go into finding legitimate invoices. Um, <clears throat> auditing and ticketing systems is one of the most interesting parts of the business, to be honest, because that's really where the money is made and lost, right? If you're not on top of that, it's a, it's a whole nother experience. <laughs> but um <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I went to college for, I had a, a business degree. I, I specialized in marketing, a little bit of advertising, and I minored in music business. Um, at the time I, I wanted to be an A&R guy. Um, but as I was in school, um, I watched the record labels and the A&R world kind of collapse in on itself. Um, that was when the digital age kind of began. So I'm in the mid to late nineties, you know, I mean, at the time, you know, we had a, I had a professor once that assigned us a homework assignment of actually just sending her an email. That's where I was, you know, and, and little did I know that it was going to, you know, I was majoring in marketing and little did I know that three years after getting my degree, everything that I had learned would basically be, you know, turned on its side. It would, it wouldn't be the same anymore because of the internet, you know, um, so it was, you know, it was kind of an interesting time to be there. There was a lot of, a lot of change and upheaval, but, um, you know, my college experience was great and, you know, I, it really was the music part of it was really the most important thing to me. That's where my love was from the time I was a kid. And, uh, it was something that I had kind of grown up around. So I so, was, uh, so how'd you get in the business then? Um, you know, I started out as a, I think eight or nine, I started to take music lessons. I, I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to learn how to play bass. I was already listening to bands and, and I was just kind of, I didn't have a musical bone in my body really, other than I just loved it. It <laughs> spoke to me for whatever reason. Um, but nobody in my family was really musical, but there was a, a family that we were close to another Italian family, you know, <laughs> in upstate New York. And, um, I got introduced to this gentleman whose name was Buzz Kua and he was a music teacher in the area and he had been around for years and all the guys that worked at all the music stores that were now in their, you know, thirties, forties, fifties had taken lessons from this guy. So this gentleman, when I met him was in his sixties and, um, he was probably the best teacher that I've ever had. Um, taught me a lot about, you know, taking my time, he instilled that I could go at my own pace and it, it kept me loving what I was doing. You know, if I was being forced to do something at a faster pace or was above my understanding or my abilities, I probably would have lost interest in it a long time ago. That's a life um, lesson all by was, sight, isn't it? Pete? Yeah, it really was. It really was. And then as I 
as I was kind of, you know, as this was all going on, my father was a, a deputy sheriff and uh, one of his part-time jobs, because he had several, was doing bootleg security for concerts when they came through town. So he was one of the guys out in the parking lots busting the people selling fake merchandise. Okay. And, uh, you know, in the early stages of the business, late 70s, early 80s, all the way through really the decade of the 80s into the early 90s, this was a huge, huge thing. Bootleg still goes on, but the business doesn't uh, attack it the same way that they used to. I don't, I don't know why, because it still makes an impact on tours, but um, there's probably legal reasons that go into it. And, and that's something that I, I'd have to defer to him to talk to you about. But <laughs> um, so at a young age, you know, he would take me to shows every once in a while. If it was a, you know, uh, I ended up vending or selling t-shirts inside uh, you know, helping the merchandise people sell t-shirts. I mean, I did, uh, I, I sold t-shirts at a U2 show when I was 11 years old. Uh, <laughs> I did a Jerry Garcia show not long after that, you know, things, things like that. And then when I was in college in Florida, um, I started to work at, at the amphitheater down here, uh, you know, whenever there were shows. So it was making extra money while I was in school. Cause I had a couple of jobs through that time as well. Um, when I got out of school, you know, I had my degree and I thought, okay, you know, I'm armed, ready to go into the world. And, uh, <laughs> you know, unfortunately everything that I was finding opportunities with were sales jobs. And I really wasn't interested in being a salesman. I didn't identify with that at the time. And, uh, I, you know, he said to me, he goes, why don't you go on the road? And I had never really considered it to be honest, because I kind of watched everything that I wanted to do go away and I had been offered a job on a radio station, uh, you know, and I had to kind of, <laughs> it was kind of heartbreaking because I did college radio and uh, I really wanted to do it. I thought, wow, this could be a lot of fun. And I was offered this incredible job in Panama City, Florida. And this is, you know, late 90s. So that was home of spring break yeah. for a lot of people. And and it was a rock station and I was going to get to program my own stuff, which I thought was amazing for coming right out of college. But and the shift was like from 10 o'clock at night until seven in the morning. And, you know, then you have to do office hours on top of that. And I said, okay, you know, I'm not, I'm not afraid of a challenge. Uh, and then they got to the pay and the, <laughs> the pay for me to be doing that. Now keep in mind the hours that we're talking about. That's a full, that's a full night shift plus office hours where you're talking to record labels. So they're East and West coast. So you had to account for the time difference the full-time pay was $12,500. And, <laughs> and I thought I was like, I literally asked the guy, this is my first job interview ever. Right. And my first question was, so is there a cot in the radio station that I get to sleep on as well? Because obviously <laughs> I'll be living in my car at this stage. So, um, what am I supposed to do here? You know? And yeah. And he, he laughed and he goes, yeah, he goes, this is pretty much where I lose everybody. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I just can't imagine why. Um, so, you know, I started, I, I started talking to some people. I ended up on the road that summer and, uh, that was 1998 and I started, you know, selling t-shirts and merchandise for, for bands. So I was the merchandise manager and, uh, handling all the cash that came in from that and the settlements that came from that. It was basically like a traveling retail manager. Right. So right. every night you balance out, you settle with the building, make sure everybody gets paid, make sure the taxes get paid and then move on. Um, a couple tours in, I'm on an Ozfest in 2001 and uh, I'm handling a couple of bands 
and I wander into the office one day and I see a gentleman that I knew, which I, who I didn't even know was out there. And, uh, <laughs> his name was Nick Kua and he was the son of the guy who I took music lessons from oh, in cool. Syracuse, New York. And, uh, Nick and I started to talk. He saw me walk in and he goes, Hey, what are you doing here? You know? <laughs> and, uh, and I said, yeah, I, you know, I said, well, this is what I'm doing now. And, uh, I started to pick his brain because he was the tour manager, tour accountant on that tour. And, um, I started to kind of learn what he did. And he said, listen, he goes, I know a guy that lives down in Florida that you should meet and he will train you and put you out on the road. And, and I thought, wow, that's amazing. So Nick, you know, uh, became a mentor for me at that point. And little did I know that at that stage, that first introduction that he made for me would introduce me to another guy that became a mentor. And the two of them have been, you know, key figures in my career as I've moved forward. And, uh, that guy in Florida, his name was Rusty Hooker and he had a great agency that was called Rocksteady Management Agency. He represented Cher, Tina Turner, Joe Cocker, Pink, uh, Sade, and worked with the manager, Roger Davies. And, uh, so I got to sit in the office and I was taught about tour accounting. And I was also there listening to how deals were made from the agent side, which was really educational. Um, I learned his, you know, he had a background in business management as well. So he could teach me a lot about, all right, this is why you do things this way, not just this is how we do it, you know? Right. Um, so that made a big difference in my understanding of the bigger picture. So between Rusty and Nick, um, you know, in the business, they really have been over the years just invaluable for advice, uh, for direction. And, you know, when there was a problem, I could always talk to two guys that had been through it all. You know, they both started together in the late seventies and, and they are, uh, they're both still in the business. I actually left Hart to go work for ACDC. And when I left, I put Rusty in my place. And Rusty then became, eventually became one of the managers of the band Hart, in which he's still doing to this day. So oh, wow. there's been some, it's been nice to be able to give back, you yeah. know, to the people that have really been instrumental in my career. And I, I try to do that with you know, the people that we connect with and, you know, because we kind of become a family out there, Absolutely. you know, we live together. We have to have a really good understanding. We have to be there when, you know, you're going through your personal ups and downs and emotional, you know, fluctuations. Cause we all do that. And it's just nice to be able to kind of, you know, give a little back to those people that are there for you while you're, you know, that, that you learn from Absolutely. while you're out there. And Pete, and, and, and again, that's another life lesson that, I mean, everybody that's listening right now, uh, Pete just said it, you know, the life lesson is find a mentor, find somebody that can, sure. that can help you along the way. Somebody that you can call no matter how big the problem is or how small the problem is, they've been through it. It's important to find yeah. that, that mentor. It is. It's very important because, I mean, I think there's been this thing that I don't know if it's just been a movement in the last bunch of years, but I, I you know, younger people, I find them saying things like, I don't need anybody. You yeah. know, I could do this on my own. And, and, <laughs> right. and, you know, it's it's not about needing people. You know, it's look, you could do you could probably do anything. You know, you could probably do anything you set your mind to with no one. Um, It'll just take but, a little bit longer. Yeah. But, you know, the, the reality is you don't go through life on your own. That's right. You know, that's not how things work. So 
you can't one, you can't be afraid to kind of open yourself up a little bit. You can't be afraid to trust in other people. You know, that doesn't mean you're not going to get burned. I've been burned. I've burned people. You know, I mean, I've, you know, I, I can't say that I've always walked the right line, you know, but I have learned a lot of lessons. I mean, this past year has definitely been (laughs) the past few years of my life. But this past year has given me a lot of time to reflect on things and, and, you know, you kind of take an inventory, you know, and, uh, and Pete, you just brought it up. So let's, let's just go there right now. I mean, it, it is awesome to know that, you know, you've been all over the world. You have toured for over 20 years. I mean, that is all great and everything, but we both know because we're both kind of in the same business. The motivational business is still just like the rock and roll business. It's just, you know what I mean? It's. We're, we're traveling. We're, yeah, we're still traveling. Yeah. We're still doing all those things. But just a year ago, I mean, everything came to a screeching halt for you, you know, yeah. um, and, and going through the whole COVID thing. And I really, really want to, uh, you know, dive into this and, and really pick your brain a little bit, Pete, and, and uh, you know, be honest with the with the listeners about this, because I think we're all fighting this, you know, all of a sudden we went from traveling, you know, for 20 some years to nothing. Yeah. How has yeah, that I mean, affected well, it, you? Well, you know, to preface this whole thing, I mean, I kind of have to give you a little bit more backstory on where I was in my life when this thing happened. Yeah, absolutely. um, A couple of years ago, I went through a divorce and, you know, so my life was changing, you know, and, and that was, you know, just again, being on the road nonstop for 10 years, uh, you know, I'm talking 10 or more months a year for the last decade. Um, You know, it's hard to stay connected. So you know, relationships suffer, your personal life suffers. So that was changing in my life. I went through some, you know, some personal things with other people where there were some betrayals and some things that, you know, like family stuff, you know, and, um, and things that I was in a really kind of, I was in a, I think I was probably in the lowest spot I'd ever been in at the end of 2019. Right. So I think around December, the end of December was kind of like the, for me, for a guy that's never been, you know, I don't have vices really. I'm not a drinker. I'm not a, I'm not, I've never been a drug guy. I don't even, I've never even smoked a cigarette in my life and which is a rarity in this business as well. But kind of at the end of December 19, I was just at like this, I was miserable. You know, like it was, (laughs) I look back on that and I think, man, I I was just not, I wasn't myself. I was, and I was sick of not being myself at that point. Right. So it was just the lowest I'd ever felt. And new year's hit. And for whatever reason, I just had this realization that I needed to kind of pull myself up out of this nonsense. You know, I, I had kind of been wallowing in, in this stuff for a little too long. And a couple of things that happened right around the holidays that kind of it was like the last straw, you know, like the stuff that yeah. was just the most frustrating part. Like it was just, it, it, I think it kind of hurt me even more at that point. And that was when, that was when I was like, you know what, you know, there's that story about people when they get hit the hardest, they, that's when they realize that it's time to, you know, they realize their strengths. That's right? right. So I turned this corner new years. I started to kind of really look at things and I was like, okay, I need to start taking care of myself. So I started to work out. I, I had a physical trainer friend of mine. I hit her up and I said, look, I need a plan. I said, I, I know you're, you know, she's actually in Michigan, right? So I was saying, <laughs> to her, I go, look, draw up a plan for me. 
you know, I'll pay you for the work, obviously. I said, but I need to get myself on track because I need to do something to get my head right. Yep. You know, so I started to, I started to do that. And I started to kind of look around my house, which, you know, I moved into this, this new home that I was in after the, after the split and after I sold our, our home and I was kind of like, okay, now I need, I had all these boxes, all this stuff. Right. And I was like, you know what? I need to start really looking at all this. And and not that I'm a hoarder by any means, actually, I really don't have a lot in the house. When you, come <laughs> in, you kind of realize you're like, wow, it's, there's a lot of space in here. Um, so, but I started to go through things and I was like, all right, I need to let go of some stuff, you know, and I need to kind of do a little bit of a personal purge, you know, yep. whether that was people or whether it was emotions that I had tied to people or things or whatever. And so I started to really dig through my life, you know, and I started to sell a lot of stuff that I've had. I mean, you, you know, look, I'm 20, 20 plus years in this business. I'm a music guy anyway. So not only did I have things that I've kind of collected over the years from my years on the road, but I was also a music guy anyway. So I was buying music and music memorabilia. I'm a musician. So I have gear and I have, you know, I mean, it's just, there was a lot, you know, <laughs> when I was a kid, I was a huge football fan. So I collected football cards. I've always been kind of a collector of something at some point in my life. Right. And, and then I had, I have some bins of like toys that I had had from when I was a kid. Like I had gotten rid of a lot of that stuff, but things that, you know, I was like, Oh, what am I going to do with this? I might as well start letting it go. Right. Right. Well, luckily for me, I kind of started to look around and find that a lot of the stuff that I had, people wanted it, you know, yeah. all of a sudden, like, I wish I had every toy that I had when I was a kid, I was, <laughs> you know, and I was going, man, I could have, I'd be rich right now. <laughs> I could sell all this stuff. Um, but you know, I started to go through things and I started to really, I just wanted to let things go and, you know, get them onto a, a home where, you know, I've had these things in boxes for 20 years, uh, maybe longer. Some of them, uh, a lot of stuff I was looking at, I was like, wow, I didn't even know I had this. <laughs> it yeah. was just, I'm looking at it going, you know what, I, if I didn't know I had it, I don't need it here. So let's get, let's let it find a home that people are going to really appreciate it. And a lot of that stuff, you know, I'm still doing things like that, but a lot of that stuff found new homes and, um, it was good for me. It's been a cathartic experience to do that. I've let go of a lot of things. Yeah. Um, and while I was doing that, I started to, I had a band that I was managing and we had a great record that we've been trying to find a home for, um, found a great little record label out of New York and finally got a deal signed. So I got to experience the negotiations of working on a deal for a record contract for my artist. And we've been working on that record and trying to promote it for the last year. Um, and we've got, you know, a bunch of new singles getting ready to come out this year. And, uh, I also did a record of my own with a friend of mine that, <laughs> and it was just something that had been a fun project for me. Over the years, I never really thought much about doing anything with it until we started to get other people to play on it, you know, yeah. and it was kind of like we were letting people hear it. And they're, wow, this is, you know, this is actually really good. You guys should put this stuff out. And I'd never really thought of it, but I was like, you know what, let's just, my buddy came to me and he goes, you know, why don't we put this thing out? And I said, yeah, yeah. Why? And I said, but if we do it, I want to make a record. I want vinyl right, <laughs> because yeah. I'm a vinyl, I'm a vinyl collector. Well, and two, and, you, uh, you were, you were too busy. You were, you were on the road yeah. 10 months out of the year. So you didn't have time yeah. for any of this stuff. I mean, I, I'm feeling you, man. I, I love this. I would have never gotten into it. Right. Yeah. So the whole point was I just wanted to stay active 
and learn something different, you know, whether it was a different end of the business I was working in or whether it was something completely outside of the business, there was just this drive in me to kind of push forward, you know? Um, at this same time, uh, my grandfather was somebody that was always kind of an inspiration to me in a lot of ways because of his character and his, his, his heart and his attitude. He never really let anything phase him, you know? Yeah. And he was kind of always, everybody used to refer to him as like a gentle giant. You know, he's one of those big guys that, you know, was a manual labor guy. He was a bricklayer for years and, um, <clears throat> but just had this incredibly kind heart. And, uh, I recently lost him, but you know, I had, I had him in my life for, I, you know, he was 94 when he passed away. He lived a great life and I got to have him in my life all this time, you know? Uh, so that was, he, you know, how can he not make an impact on you? You know, right. <laughs> and, yeah, um, absolutely. So a lot of this time, you know, as you sit here when you're not working, you know, and I, I'm watching my savings dwindle, <laughs> I, you know, I was still trying to look and see like, all right, what else can I do? You know, I kept hoping that some of the stuff I was working on may turn into, you know, financial success, but there, there's a lot of build for that, you know? So as I started to look at everything and focus on all these projects, I also started to kind of think about a lot of the people that I had kind of come in contact with over the years, people that were my friends and that had been important along the way in my life. And, uh, you know, it gave me some time to reconnect with people. Um, some of the things that had happened over the last couple of years, there's, you know, people's character and people's, uh, I guess they're just self-awareness, you know, uh, comes, it comes and goes, right. People change and people, people realize, or people get better at going, Hey, you know, I messed up, you know? So I took the time to make sure that I was still on that path, you know, making sure that I was good at, I've always been good at accepting responsibility for my own actions. Yep. So that was something that I wanted to refocus on and make sure that I was still on that path. But I've also had, I've been fortunate to have some people that maybe things didn't go so well with at one point come around and, and tell me, Hey, look, I, I realize I made a mistake, you know? And that to me is like, again, it's a huge statement of growth. And so I wasn't the only one that was, finding myself doing things and growing a little bit this year. You know what I mean? And that was reassuring to me. So I thought, okay, you know, things, things all happen for a reason. You know, we all make our mistakes. It's really about how we deal with those mistakes. So I started to, you know, just focus on reaching out to some people that I hadn't talked to in a while. Um, I reconnected with a friend of mine, her, she's a great person. Her name's Julie. And, uh, she's also another person on the road. And, uh, we had worked together 15 years ago and we hadn't really talked much recently. You know, we're just, we're friends, but you know, not in each other's lives on a daily basis. Right. And, uh, I got a phone call from her over the summer and, uh, or an email and it said, Hey, listen, I, I wanted to send you this, this article. She goes, I was, I was interviewed for this magazine and I wanted you to see this because you were, you, you know, cause I talk about you in there and I was like, Oh, well, 15 years ago, you know, <laughs> we worked together. I'm like, All right, well. You're like, what did I so do? <laughs> I read, I re- yeah. I read the article and you know, she's talking about how she got into the business and the people that were important to her career. And, you know, she mentioned some guys that are, they were like, you know, some big hitters back in the, you know, in the early days of, you know, eighties, nineties touring. And, uh, guys that we all knew of that we all kind of have respect for. And then as I'm reading this article, she talks about this tour that we did together. 
And it was her first time doing the job she was doing on that tour as a promoter rep. And, uh, you know, she was kind of stuck with me because I had to settle the shows with her every night and I was working for the bands and she was working for the promoter and, uh, it was her first time. So, you know, she got on in this article, she was talking about how patient I had been and how kind I was to her and how much I kind of kept it light and made her laugh, which has always kind of been my thing. Anyway, I kind of think if we can't laugh at what we're doing, then probably not doing it right. And, uh, an element of that is, is I used to, I, when I was a kid, I used to draw quite a bit and on this tour, because it was a, you know, we were, it was a busy schedule, but we were, we were in early every day. So I made this one day I was drawing something and she was like, I can't, well, I didn't know that you could draw. I said, yeah, I used to be pretty good at this, you know, and it (laughs) became this joke with all the people on the crew and it was like, Hey, you know, why don't you draw this, you know, this cartoon character today, or why don't you do this? And it was, you know, this was a three month tour. Right. At the, at, by the end of the tour, when you'd walk into my office, there were, you know, pieces of paper with black and white drawings of all these cartoon characters that you and I grew up watching Looney Tunes, Disney, whatever, <laughs> you know, Hanna right. Barbera. And it, people would walk in and they'd be like, what the hell is going on in here? <laughs> and, and it was just, for me, it was just something that made people laugh, right. you know, and I, and besides it gave me something to do with myself in the morning while I was having coffee or whatever I was doing. So I actually have some of those hung up on the wall in my house and people look at them and they're always like, Oh, did you do these? You know? And I said, yeah, you know, I used to, I used to do that quite a bit, but, um, you know, she talked about just what an impact I had had. And I, I talked to her on the phone afterwards and I, I was like, I I didn't realize that, you know, I was just being myself, you know, I didn't realize that it had done anything special, but I said, I'm, I'm so grateful that you even took the time to, to, to mention it, you know? And, And later on, I, I referred her for a job that she's had for the last 13 years. Right. So she actually took my place working for the counting crows, which was, um, which was an awesome thing to be able to do. And I have to say that I've always enjoyed being able to refer people for things when I thought, you know, you don't always get, you don't always get the best results when you do that. But, but with Julie, (laughs) She, she became part of that family and I'm so happy that I had a little something to do with that, you know, and that, that means a lot to me. So I was just giving back, you know, I was just doing something that I thought, you know, I wasn't getting anything for it. It was just, this was the right thing to do, you know, and I've always tried to, to do that when people come along and, you know, sometimes I get burned sometimes you know, it works out great. And that just happened to be a time that it turns out made a much bigger impact than I ever even realized. Pete, and, and, and again, we've been talking about life lessons and, you know, and you know, basically you're talking about cleansing your life. You've had this opportunity for the last yeah. 10 or 11 months to not look at it as a negative. You're, yeah. you're looking at it as a positive for yourself and, 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 you're, and you're doing things for you. And in yeah. return, I believe that God, you know, showed you, hey, listen, you know what? You are doing the right thing. You are doing, you know, everything right. And matter of fact, you've been doing things right because 15 years ago, something that 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 was so small for you, you 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 were probably doing it for your own sanity, is you know, uh, <laughs> color, you know what I mean, drawing and stuff yeah. like that. But you were making people smile every single day. Matter of fact, three months, uh, you know, uh, on that tour. People were, were probably coming in and, and looking for that next drawing. 
And, and, and I think that yeah. that's in, in, in life, we do the same thing. And, and Pete, I'm going to wrap this, this episode up and, and, uh, and if you don't mind, will you come back for another episode? Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah, that'd be great. Well, awesome, everybody. Hey, we're talking to Pete Merluzzi. And uh, I tell you what, what a what a bunch of great life lessons, man. You're listening to the Outstanding Life Podcast with Johnny D, the motivational cowboy. Don't forget, you can check us out on all major platforms. And we'll be back with episode number two. Outstanding Life is a Soul Bridge Studio production.